Welcome into TFW Live. It's the best kept secret in fantasy football where we keep that week one feeling going all year long. I'm Big Travi. I'm joined here by my best friends, Austin and Johnny Game Time Hicks. As always, want to say what's up to Whisper Nation and my boys here. What is going on? And of course, got to say what's up to the guys in the chat. Ronald, Albert saying hello. We appreciate you in here. All of you that will be joining us later. And we had some new members to Whisper Nation this week. Those that subscribed and followed us on social media. Keith, Daniel Sardinas, Ricky Lobb, 420 Fantasy Hustler, Stumpy, Kamish, Jorge Edwards, Nicole, Ryan Wheeler, BG, Elliot, Derek Logan, Michael Chasco, Sleeping with the Numbers podcast, Cutters.eth, Matt Waldman, Ace Fantasy, Sepulveda, Kennels 310. And if you love fantasy football and would enjoy joining a community where you know you belong, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. We are trying to get just one more subscriber on this stream. Just one more. Could be you. And if you're new, let us know where you're streaming from. We would love to shout you out right here on the show. But time to shout out a very special guest we are joined by, Graham Barfield from Fantasy Points. You can get his work over at FantasyPoints.com or by following him on Twitter at Graham Barfield. Graham, what's going on, my man? Yo, good to see you guys. Um, happy to talk some ball. We got like actual news. Yeah. Actual news, not fake yeah. news. Not, not people yeah. just making stuff up on Twitter. We have actual news. Training camps are here. It's a, it's a fun yeah. time. It's a beautiful time to be alive and you love to see it. But before we get into some of the juicy ball talk here, uh, that was poor. Wow, dude. We will go into some stuff we're going to talk about and get to know Graham a little bit. Uh, Graham, we've got some rapid fire questions here. We're going to fire off right about now. So do you root for your NFL team or your fantasy team more? Yeah, well, listen, I'm a Jaguars fan. So that basically answers that question. I've had a couple years where I could root for the Jags, but it's it's always fantasy for me. Yeah, especially after last year. I'm sure you really dove into the into, – yeah, it was a kind of peak. Uh, what year did you start playing fantasy football? Man, um, it would have been sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade, so 2000 and, uh, 2007, 2006, somewhere in there. Yeah, okay. Nice. Uh, favorite fantasy football player of all time? Easy, Randy Moss. Also favorite player of all time. Ooh, oh, nice. Go. Nice. How about uh, player that's burned you the most or least favorite player? Oh, man. Who's burned me the most? <laughs> uh, probably George Kittle. I was all in on him a couple years yeah. ago, but Kittle's been a guy I've always been trying to, like, you know, buy his ceiling. And I don't know. Too many injuries, man. Yeah. Uh, it, don't it, tell it, these guys that a whole year man That'd we can be... talk about injuries johnny but if we talk about average points per game it's a different story that's don't where you that's it. where we yeah. break apart you, what you get, is... you'll bring out fire when you talk about kittle with these two <laughs> <laughs> what what what's like one of your favorite fantasy football team names that you've had uh my home team name has been the funky monks after a red hot chili pepper song uh blood sugar nice. blood sugar sex magic so i've kept that one around um uh, I don't know if you guys watch Archer. I, 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 uh, I've seen a little bit. Yeah. Can't or won't. Phrasing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I've used phrasing. I've used, um, uh, I had something for this. Like when Archer's like, I had something for this. No, yeah. Love it. Uh, how about a sound you love? A sound? What do, what do you mean? Just any old sound? Any yeah. sound. Any, what comes to mind? Hmm. I mean. Say it. I don't yeah. know. I'm trying to think of a sound that I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely perplexed. Uh, music? Can we go with music? Yeah. So, okay. Sure. Yeah. I just looked at my record player, so that's what yeah. that's. There what you I'm go. On. There you go. Favorite swear word? Fuck. Definitely fuck. Yeah. That yeah. one wins a lot. What are the most leagues you played in at one time? Shit. Last year, 39. Oh. I think that's the top. Or yeah, so that, that's like up the there. Yeah. yeah. Man managed leagues 39. If you're including like some like dynasty best ball, probably way more. We can't include the best ball sickos. People okay. be out there drafting like 200 of them. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was like 38 or 39 last year. Yeah. Especially if your name is Dave. Yeah. <laughs> most exciting fantasy football moment. Man, most exciting. It's kind of dumb, but I won three straight home league championships with a 60 yard field goal from Will Lutz. Fuck yeah. 16 uh back in like 2017 2018 and i didn't make any money off it 
I, I, I've, I've had bigger ones, but that was definitely the coolest one because uh, I was, you know, three straight with a kick, 60-yard kick. It was a game one or two. I can't. I think it was 2017 or 2016. I'd have to go back and look. That is well, the fact that it's the biggest moment and it's by a kicker. I mean, the kickers out there are just clapping right now, making yeah, them feel exactly. like people out there. I love it. We love it. Favorite game day beverage, Graham? Uh, I, I'm up super early, so coffee. I'm usually up at like four or five on game day, so definitely, definitely coffee's keeping going. How about boneless or bone in for your wings? Oh, there's no, okay. We're about to have a big debate if you guys are some boneless guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to leave guy. the show if y'all are some boneless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, raise- like, they like nuggets. They like nuggets. Yeah, yeah, nuggets are fine, but it's not. I like nuggets. I just don't call them wings. You yeah, know exactly. They're chicken yeah, nuggets. Chicken nuggets are great. Okay, but I'm all in the bone in squad. I need sure. to take all the guests to Hungry Monk, and they'll change all of your viewpoints. <laughs> on the on the definition of the word <laughs> no on just how good boneless well, wings are i'm not Nobody saying can... that nuggets couldn't be better but if you're asking me if i want a wing or not then it's yeah, bone it's, in. I mean, yeah. it's two separate things it's two separate kickoff things. is in two minutes here in this hypothetical situation you're still deciding your flex are you going to go with your gut or your weekly rankings man i go with my gut uh, I, i'm gonna ride or die with my gut like Love it. i'd much rather go with my gut and lose than uh, the knot and and, uh, and struggle, but yeah, definitely the gut. Absolutely. All right. For 2022, we're going to talk a little bit of ADP today. We're going to talk a little bit about draft strategy. What's your favorite position so far to be in uh, for the 2022 uh, speaking snake draft? Yeah. Um, this is a tricky year for top two picks. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go. I've been really enjoying like four or five um because i can get jefferson i could get mccaffrey if he falls i'm really i really like jefferson and then a back in the second round just depending on uh, on uh on who falls i also don't mind the back end of the first round i think the seventh eighth pick is the hardest spot to pick from um this year but four five and then like the back end of the first round is, is where i'm living right now so we're we're feeling like a, a tear break maybe at seven and eight for you. Yeah, it just gets it gets weird. Like once you know Chase and all three of the wide receivers are gone, you got to start making choices between Najee and Dalvin Cook and Austin Eckler. Derrick Henry's in that mix too. Uh, I think I think I just think that range is a little riskier uh, and a much bigger teardrop from like the top five or six. Well, we're going to get plenty of practice drafting from all over the draft board. This Saturday and Sunday is our mock draft marathon, and we've got a little bit of a clip here to show Whisper Nation what's in store. Mock draft marathon. What is this? It's consecutive mock drafts for a total of 24 hours. Requires hours and even years of preparation. Which is a little bit controversial, but... Are you shitting me, Johnny? I didn't plan that, I swear. I can pretty much say 100%. Something that you really love to do. Let the games begin. Somebody came in and stole Johnny and they're hijacking his draft. Oh, he's gonna blame it on his 78-year-old neighbor. Damn it, you guys stuck in a super flex? I knew it. Ball is gonna taste different than this meatball. That's not that bad from a flex. Outliers decide fantasy Stand out above the crowd. About the same set of 200 players, and it never gets old. So that's right. This Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd through the 24th. And Johnny, you got a sweet graphic to show us some of the guests yeah. that are coming on here. We've got Look at opening that. up with stepmom Lauren. We got Matt Harmon on the list, Sigmund Bloom, some of our favorites in the industry, and then some of our favorite, uh, you know little guys like us and we're going to be rocking and rolling with these uh with these guys and and plenty of caffeine and i remember we asked graham we asked you to be on i know you had some plans this weekend and graham goes how the hell do you guys stay up for 24 <laughs> hours uh, you know it's uh it's a Got lot of yeah, <laughs> methamphetamine yeah exactly yeah <laughs> uh, how's everybody laughing yeah. <laughs> you're, just, you're just doing little bumps off in the corner uh, no, straight up real real talk though like slap happy is a great energy and like you just end up getting silly and embrace the weirdness it yeah is. yeah you have to you get delirious and then you just roll with it as long as your voice doesn't go out like mine last year i think oh. you, you you can hold down the fort for the most part so we'll go for the fourth annual we're excited but anyways we're here to talk with Graham Barfield, and first we're going to roll through some of the news and notes that's latest. And as Graham said at the beginning of the show, we're rolling into training camps. First one opened up, so we're getting actual news here, not some of the fake news that uh, we've seen throughout the offseason. But the first one is Michael Thomas and the Saints placing him on the 
um, active slash pup list. Graham, I wanted to start with you here and just say, you know, each day on our podcast, it's a new chapter with Michael Thomas. Where are you at on Michael Thomas, your concern level? This can't be good news. I I don't think it's that surprising, honestly. I mean, this guy's been without a timeline for the better part of a year and a half now. Um, I think, you know, all of their off-season moves between trading up for Chris Olave, uh, between getting Jarvis Landry, uh, I think all of their moves kind of show that, you know, hey, whenever Michael Thomas is healthy again, you know, he's certainly going to be a big part of what they do, but they had to go out and get some extra receivers after last year. Um, I, I think Thomas is a fine pick. You can make a case for him in, in best ball. I could make a case against him in best ball and you could make a case for him in redraft too. The thing I, the thing I have with Thomas this year, to me, it comes down roster, like to roster construction. If I have three or four receivers, I feel really good about, I'm much more likely to take the plunge with Thomas uh, as like my wide receiver five. Um, but if I've gone running back heavy or I've got a quarterback earlier, you know, a quarterback and a tight end early, I'm much less likely to take on that risk because there's a chance, man, Thomas could, you know, miss the first four games of this year on PEP again. Yeah. yeah, we could definitely see something like that. A little bit scary there. Moving on here, the Boston Herald's Andrew Callahan shared on Thursday that Bill Belichick has still not named an offensive coordinator heading in to training camp. Austin. Where does this put you in your overall feel for the Patriots? And then maybe Johnny come in with maybe a fantasy angle for you. It's no secret to listeners of the show that Bill Belichick is not my favorite human being of all time. I think he's a suppressor. I think he he leads by like constraining people and a contrary to like a Sean McVeigh or a uh, Tony Dungy, who I think really tries to make the most out of every individual on his team. So I kind of root against the way I think Bill Belichick operates. I also think he's a little stale. And I remember the Brian Flores interview about Bill Belichick's reluctancy to naming staff members high level roles within the within the Patriots organization. No, he's not gonna have a defensive coordinator. No, he's not gonna have an offensive coordinator. He's gonna have a, a, a defensive specialist or all these little ways that he can assume control at a larger level. And we've seen the Patriots not be better than they were 10 years ago. And they've gotten worse. And I would say Bill Belichick's decision-making has to be called into question on a few variables here. And this news to me points to old ways in an evolving world. So I'm really actually concerned about the overall trajectory of Bill Belichick. And that means the Patriots as well. Well, I'm, I'm not that concerned with it. I, this is what, one interesting thing. I, I don't think anybody's talking about is the fact that uh, you brought up Bill O'Brien. Interesting fact is that Bill O'Brien, a story came out a couple of years ago where Bill O'Brien joined the Alabama uh, coaching staff as a coordinator and who was the one that taught him the offense none other than my boy mac jones and so i think what is really going to happen is that and this is why you saw bill belichick smiling when he was on the field you know hiking balls to mac jones is mac jones is going to be the offensive coordinator because he's smart enough he knows you, you laugh, but like that's totally that, I'm it's tickled. Like Peyton Manning. And it's like Peyton Manning. He he has a command over that offense, and so you don't need an offensive coordinator necessarily in order to uh, have Mac Jones succeed. Mac Jones will know what it's his second year in this offense in the NFL. I think Mac Jones is going to be uh you know the guy calling the shots, and I think there'll be an oversight for sure to, from up above saying, "Hey, this is what we see." But I think overall, it's probably going to be Mac Jones, you know, running the show. Well, we'll see. I mean, Johnny, we know your love for Mac Jones knows no bounds, but uh, I mean, I think we'll see what happens. I, I've heard some of the uh, whispers of that, that, that Mac Jones will get more control. I imagine it'll be more like a Bill Belichick, you know, will have his stamp on the offense. But we'll move on to Kyler Murray, who's probably the biggest news of the day because he got absolutely paid today, a five-year, $230 million contract extension. Graham, nothing crazy to see here, but if I look at ADP right now, you kind of see Lamar Jackson a whole full round ahead of Kyler. And I, I, I had a theory that maybe his ADP was a little bit lower because of the contract situation and the drama. Do you imagine that gets a little bit more evened up? Do you think, or do you think Kyler kind of hangs out here because of the offensive woes down the stretch? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if his ADP goes up. I just know he's a good value right now, Uh, especially relative to some of the other quarterbacks, you know, 
and Josh Allen, we, especially in a tournament uh, like Best Ball Mania 3 and on Underdog, you know, we want access to the the guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes because they do have 30-point ceilings in Week 17 when we need them. But, uh, yeah, Kyler, five, you know, fifth, sixth round, man. I mean, you're taking Kyler over guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, um, you know, Darnell Mooney, receivers that are, you know, borderline twos and threes. And we know Kyler Murray can be an elite fantasy quarterback. He's been a top six uh, scorer in points per game in back-to-back seasons. Uh, this Cardinal secondary, guys, is trash. They're going to give up some serious points this year. I, I, I love Kyler. He's a fifth, sixth-round pick. Him and Jalen Hurts are like the two guys that I've been targeting the most in like that fifth, sixth-round pocket. And I just feel like Kyler's like, I mean, Jalen Hurts has his own shot at QB1, but Kyler yeah. feels like the better bet, and they're going right next to each other. So I just think it's like, it's I, to your point, I think it's great value. We'll move on here to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They've signed Kyle Rudolph, formerly of the Giants, to a one-year contract. Johnny, you know, Cameron Brait was getting some steam in best ball drafts after the Gronk retirement. This kind of makes me feel like Gronk is for sure retired, um, uh, although I think, you know, he could definitely come back. How are you feeling about Rudolph's prospects in Tampa Bay? I think this is like a red area target. He's really good and really efficient in the red zone area. And we saw Brait kind of struggle with that last year. So I think if anything, like you said, it just shows that Gronk is most likely not coming back. It does diminish, uh, you know, Brait's ceiling for me. I'm not really excited about him anymore. Uh, I think that they'll eat into each other, cannibalize each other a little bit. We'll move on to San Francisco, where ESPN's Adam Schefter has reported that the 49ers have given Jimmy Garoppolo permission to seek a trade. Austin, uh, how are you feeling about the Jimmy Garoppolo saga? Similar similar to the Michael Thomas saga, we have new uh, information that comes out all the time on this. I don't think the slide made the show. But uh, how are you feeling about Jimmy Garoppolo here? I'm not. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be somebody else's, like, placeholder enjoy that placeholder and then any effects on the on the Tell, Trey Lance situation I mean it makes Trey Lance a, a, a starter presumably there were actual question marks if he was going to be in that role now we have a little bit more certainty in that direction well, I right. think it's like I don't know who's going to trade for that contract like no. I, yeah, I, don't, I, don't I don't know if anybody's it. trading for that contract I think there's more likelihood he just gets cut yeah, yeah. it's kind of crazy. And then he gets to go to Seattle, and that would be kind of rich for uh, some yeah. stuff. But yeah, that'd yeah. be. I'd at least feel a lot better about you know DK Metcalf and, and Tyler oh, Lockett yeah. in that position. So oh, yeah. mm-hmm. moving on to Denver really quickly, Albert O. Uh, it's reported that Greg Dulcich will actually compete with Albert O for the starting job. This is something that actually um, Cecil Lammy, who works for Football Guys, has been kind of reporting a little bit, steady uh, drumbeat on this. It'll be something interesting to watch as training camp goes. I don't want to put too much stock in it. Both are very you know, good athletes, but rookie tight ends tend to not make an impact. So we'll kind of move along and see what kind of uh, you know news comes from that. Moving on, though, to J.K. Dobbins, who prior to the Kyler Murray situation was probably one of the bigger news stories this week. He tweeted, I might not even go on the pup because that's how good my rehab is going, and I'm damn sure going to be ready for week one. He went on to say that he would re- he would post videos, but he doesn't want to show the world what he and Jesus are working on <laughs> at the highest level. So, Graham, uh, I mean, if a guy trains with Jesus, right, like he should definitely be zooming up your draft boards. Look, he's zoomed up my draft board. If you dunk on rap sheet like that, you're going to you're going to zoom up any draft board. I don't care who you are. I don't care how hurt, how hurt you are. You dunk that hard on rap sheet. You're you're going to get uh, boosted up the board. But um, look, man, I mean, I think I think Dobbins was going too early to begin with. And um, I mean, we know what this Ravens backfield is when all these guys are healthy. It's more of a rotation. Lamar is going to be heavily involved at the goal line. He's going to be involved like he always is on the inside twenty, uh, inside the twenty stuff. Um, man, I mean, Dobbins is kind of the definition of a dead zone back this year. Um, mm. It's sixth, seventh round pick. You know what the ceiling is, but man, I mean, how many times have we been burned? You know, buying running backs coming off of ACLs. And by the way, I know you guys have had Edwin Portis on, but you know, he was talking about how you know because of the mechanism of his injury. I mean, he had multiple ligaments um, that were injured just based on how he was hit. It wasn't just a clean ACL. So this was always going to be a tricky, you know, tricky comeback for him. And I, I really do hope, I really hope he comes yeah. back because JK Dobbins is awesome, man. But um, yeah, he, he's another one of those guys that go in that fifth, sixth round range where it's like, gosh, am I really deciding between Kyle Murray and JK Dobbins? Like this is, 
really easy but for Kyler or Jalen Hurts. Like, I, I'm just skewing towards those quarterbacks there. I really hope for Dobbins' sake that he does make it to week one because, man, Twitter will be – they don't they don't have a short memory, that's for sure. They'll be retweeting that and ask him all about that. Be, he he'll be in church it. anyways, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, prayers Fair up. Point. All right, point. we'll move on to the last bit of news here. Uh, Tampa Bay Times' Rick Stroud reports the Bucks coaches were not happy with Leonard Fournette's weight during the team's minicamp. Now, there's been some angles here, Austin, on Fat Lenny. Obviously, he's had this uh, situation before and then got back from it, but he is getting older. And I don't know that I've ever kind of heard that the coaches weren't as happy. He's kind of always had that time to kind of come back. Is this more news if we're hearing about it more in July or or like late July? I think it would be more news. I'm not taking a lot from this one. It's it's are your expectations broken? And for me, they're not. Leonard Fournette is the dude who giggles when he gets hit. Leonard Fournette, I imagine, has made many a coaching staff not happy going back to his collegiate days over at LSU, over in Jacksonville. Pick a guy. Leonard Fournette kind of plays his own brand of football um, when he's playing it. He's really good. I'm not concerned about him being ready when he needs to be. Um, so, no, I'm not concerned right now. I'm not, I'm not any more concerned from this news versus where I was before I heard it. Maybe he's just bulking. We don't yeah, know. He's, he's, he's just going through a bulk. I, he's the, best, the best take here is that he's from Louisiana, bro, and he like he likes some beignets, he likes some fried gator, and now it's time to get that summer bod. So I think we're gonna be all right. Like I think we'll be fun. feast mode and two point We were talking about Florida like off air. Like he'll he'll lose the weight, right? Like it'll. You start running gassers out there in the Florida heat, especially in Tampa where it's a freaking yeah. swamp. Yeah, you'll you'll lose ten pounds in a week. Absolutely. Well, speaking of swamp, we're going to talk a little bit about the RB dead zone here. And this is actually a, a, you know, a subject, Graham, that's kind of come up on a lot of shows because I think we're seeing what you tweeted out here, um, that there's a lot of talent at running back, especially at the top here. You said it's this is an abnormally great year to take two to three running backs in the first five rounds and then not take your running back three or four until round 12 at the earliest. The RB dead zone isn't round three through six. It's round six through ten. So, Graham, got a couple of questions coming in this subject here. I wanted to start off with the running backs in rounds one through five. You know, you paint grabbing two to three of those in those first five rounds. I wanted to know from you what would be an ideal grab because in those rounds one through five, we still do have a pretty wide range of running backs available at the top. You've obviously got your Jonathan Taylors, your CMCs, your Austin Ecklers. And then on that back side of the fifth round, currently we're looking at our Brees Halls, our AJ Dillons, our Damian Harris's. In those first five rounds, what would be an ideal two to three running back build at their current ADPs. Right. So every year to me is like a snowflake. It's a different puzzle to try and figure out. And, and last year I thought was a really good year to go with like a hero or superhero running back strategy where you take one or two and then you just don't touch any through like round six. And then I thought, you know, round six through nine, there was a lot of backs that I liked in that range. I loved Damian Harris last year. Like, I thought he was slam dunk, nuts, like seventh, eighth round pick. Um, there were some obvious busts in that range too, like Miles Sanders. But, you know, A.J. Dillon was another guy in round nine last year I loved. This year is a lot different. Um, rounds three through six last year, and the reason why I was fading it, we had guys like Chris Carson, Josh Jacobs, Mike Davis, Kareem Hunt, Miles My- Gaskin, Chase Edmonds, guys that were, I mean, you had to make stretches for their roles based on their ADP. And I, I just didn't want any of them. I, ha- I was like kind of in on Carson, kind of in on Henderson when he, after Akers injury, I wasn't buying Travis Etienne last year with, with J-Rob there, uh, especially, um, you know, with that coaching staff. I just was so out on Urban Meyer. This year's totally different. I think you could make a case for any of the running backs going mm-hmm. in rounds three through six between James Conner, Cam Akers. Uh, you mentioned Brees Hall. Travis Etienne is now you know a third round pick. He was going to the fifth round in May. Um, this year is just a much different beast based on ADP, and I think the markets have have correctly priced up some of these backs and also correctly priced down the ones that would usually be going in that like five to six round range. So um, this year, like ideally, uh, you know, we were talking about favorite draft spots. I I love four or five to get Jefferson. 
Um, and then you come back and you can get Aaron Jones. Uh, we can take Leonard Fournette. I'm going to buy the discount heavily on Leonard Fournette. And you know what? This year, especially right now, we're going to see some news on Kamara. But what really makes the mm-hmm. three uh, running backs in the first three to five rounds really work is when you have Alvin Kamara in the third round and David Montgomery in the fifth round. Hmm. Uh, we got uh, David Montgomery, uh, you know, people are still trying to make Khalil Herbert and, you know, Darians and Evans a thing. We also don't know. Maybe this staff just loves David Montgomery. Maybe David Montgomery is just that good at football because every time he's been on the field, he has produced. Hmm. Um, with someone like Alvin Kamara, the ceiling's simple. I mean, last year, I think he got a little unlucky in the touchdown department, only averaged like 18 points per game. But when you can get a surefire RB1, even if he's going to miss four games in the third round, like I'm completely fine with that. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to start hot out of the gates in fantasy, but man, like when you get a difference maker, a true difference maker like Alvin Kamara in the third round, I, I just, I think it kind of opens up the rest of your draft to just t- attack receivers, get Kyler Murray in the fifth or sixth round, go, you know, go pay up for Dalton Schultz if you're into him. Um, I, I just think it, with two or three elite running backs in the first three rounds, based on the way this year is set up, it just opens you up for so many different pathways uh, for some elite quarterback and tight end plays that you can make in the mid rounds, receiver plays that are, that are underpriced in the mid rounds. I just think it's a really unique year for this. And we, we honestly, we haven't seen a, a running back year this strong in the first four rounds in a long time. Yeah, it was starting to feel that way. And I was wondering if it would just change over the summer. So we'll see how ADP kind of goes. Cause you know, some of these guys like Saquon feels like he's going to be at the end of the first or beginning of the second, by the time we're through the summer, if he stays healthy. But I think some of those guys, like you mentioned, are going to stay kind of right around where they're at, just based on where the wide receivers are going and the big names in that category. Uh, when we speak about ADP here, we're talking fantasy football calculator.com. And, and when I look at that, you talked about in your tweet, the RB dead zone being in round six through 10 and not, you know, basically not grabbing your RB three or four until round 12 at the earliest. I wanted to pull some guys in that round 12, even 13 range here. And so I'll list them here. Tyler Algier at 1201, Kenneth Gainwell also at 1201, Daryl Williams, 1203, Sony Michelle, 1206, Rashad White, 1211, Gus Edwards in the 13th. I wonder if you'd speak a little on the upside of some of these guys in this group. Well, with someone like Rashad White, the upside's simple. I mean, if Leonard Fournette were to go down with a you know major knee injury in week two, they got nothing else. I mean, I don't think the, the coaching staff particularly loves Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, this year, it's again, it's one of those things where like last year, I loved the one or two running back in the first two rounds because there was a gluttony of runners in 10 through rounds, 10 through 14, where I was like, okay, I feel really good. If the lead runner goes down, like this is, this is the guy this year's, there's a very similar setup. Um, Michael Carter's one guy, Brees Hall misses time. Michael Carter is a bell cow. Uh, Rashad white is another one. Um, you know, these guys, especially if you're playing in redraft leagues, what I, what I try to think of is like, okay, I want to have at least two difference makers at running back. Ideally two. I want really want one, Ideally, you want to. And then from there, I'm trying to like churn through the bottom of my roster because a lot of these running backs, you know, I, I like Michael Carter this year. I like Rashad White as a, as a 12th round pick. But those guys in week two or three, man, I mean, those guys are going to be droppable. Those are the guys that you churn through for the waiver wire guys so you can keep building back up that cachet of running backs. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not in the business of trying to get 12 and a half fantasy points per game for my fifth round running back. I'm trying to get 20 fantasy points mm. for my fifth round running back. 12 and a half fantasy points per game in a redraft league. Is it like a flex play? That's fine. Floor play. I'm done with the floor play running backs, dude. Yeah. Ugh. These guys, they're always traps. These floor play running backs are always traps. And at the end of the day, like I think Miles Sanders is another floor play trap. Like uh, you mentioned Kenneth Gamewell. Kenneth Gamewell is one of my most drafted running backs this year. The ADP difference between Miles Sanders, depending on where you look, 6th, 7th round, 8th round ADP, Gainwell makes no sense to me. Gainwell is a better receiver. He's put on 15 to 20 pounds this offseason, which tells, tells me he's going to put on some bulk to maybe score more. And Miles Sanders isn't the goal line back. Jalen Hurts is. So Miles Sanders isn't the goal line back. He's not the receiving back. What do we have? We just got some guy who's pretty good in between the 20s. Like, that's fine. But at the end of the day, that's – I can't draft Miles Sanders in the seventh round when Adam Thielen's there, Drake London's there, Tyler Lockett's there. I just, I'm just, I, once you start thinking through like all of the 
different ways you can poke holes into some of these mid-round runners this year, it just makes your life so much easier and it just makes you want to draft receivers in that range. All right. So I just said, touching on that, there are a couple of names that did pop off in that that's so far, right? Uh, talking today, uh, July 21st, uh, that are in that dead zone uh, are Chase Edmonds, uh, Melvin Gordon, and Kareem Hunt. Are you know what are, is your major concern with these guys specifically? Like I understand, you know, Kareem Hunt. You could say, yeah, he doesn't have that, uh, you know, RB here. He has a big monster running back staying in his way, and my boy Nick Chubb. But like Chase Edmonds, uh, maybe speak on why you're not so high on Chase Edmonds this year. Yeah, well, my thing with with Edmonds is what's really twofold. First and foremost the 49ers and McDaniel, man, they didn't throw to their backs. And that's Chase Edmonds' number one skill is being a pass catching back. He's a good zone runner, but he's not somebody that you're going to give 15 carries per game. You know, he's always going to be a rotational guy. That's just kind of the type of player he is. And then you mix in the fact that, oh yeah, the 49ers had a deep running back rotation. This Niners team or this Dolphins team, they just completely overhauled their entire backfield. Who's to say that you know, some weeks, it, maybe it's Sony Michelle. Some weeks, it's Raheem Moster. Some weeks, it's Chase Edmonds. I just think the market is overly confident that Edmonds is the guy. I get that he got the most money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if we're trying to project out roles here, we want some, like, short targets for our running backs. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are some of the best short area receivers in the NFL. You could probably put them in the top five and they're on the same team. I just don't see much of a big, like, short area target role for Edmonds this year. Mm-hmm. And a PPR, man, like, that's – Again, like you're, you're it's, he's a floor play. Like those guys are fine if you go zero running back and you can, you know, bank their 12 and a half fantasy points per game. But I'm shooting for ceiling and I'm, you know, it, Michelle and Mostert are going to have to get hurt for I think Edmonds to really become a bell cow. Yeah. And it just looks too much like the Cardinals, what the Cardinals did with Edmonds, right? Where they like then brought in Kenyon Drake, then they brought in James Conner for the goal line. And I just, I keep trying to talk myself into Chase. I like him, and I think he could earn targets, but you make a great point there about the other target getters on that squad. We'll move on to another backfield here up in the Pacific Northwest. And, Graham, you tweeted out, y'all are going to make Kenneth Walker go from a league-winning pick in round eight to a league-winning pick in rounds 10 to 11, and I appreciate it. Graham says he's here for it. So I wanted to make a little bit of a – I want to push back a little bit here, Graham, just because in the final weeks of the season we saw Penny was a top five back in PPR three times. Uh, he was a top ten back four times. I mean, we're talking about the best running back in all of fantasy in the last month of 2021. In the case of Penny, is the case against Penny getting that first crack of the lead back duties, is that just an injury-related one? And does that make Walker just a bet on talent at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where when Penny has been healthy, even dating back to like his rookie season, like he's looked electric. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I'm never one to hold injuries against players. Like, I just think that's silly mm-hmm. analysis and just like, it, it leads to so many pitfalls. Um, but in the case with Penny versus Walker, like this Seahawks team is a rebuilding team. They... <laughs> They are like talented. Don't tell Pete that. Don't tell Dude, Pete they, that. I know. Well, remember that quote he said last year that they've got Adrian Peterson to stay uh, to stay in the playoff chase? Yeah. 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 Uh, love yeah. It. How did that work for you? Yeah. Um, my thing is like, okay, this Seahawks team, they're rebuilding. We know they want to build around the run. They just drafted, in my opinion, the most talented pure runner in the class by far. Kenneth Walker led – um, the yards created process, led it in uh, yards created per attempt, led the class in this tackles force per attempt. It's been a second round pick on. Do we really think that guy's going to ride the bench? Like we, we really think Rashad Penny's going to come back out and get, you know, the 25, you know, eight, 17, 25 carries per game that he was getting at that back half of the last year, which, Oh, by the way, I mean, he granted again, this is, you know, we go down these pitfalls of analysis, but like he blew up some really bad run defenses and yeah. dead. Mm-hmm. He blew up the Texans, he blew up the Bears, he blew up the, the Cardinals. Those teams were dead. And yeah. yeah, Cardinals, bad run defense by the end of the year. Like let let's like take a let's take a step back here, like and really try to think this through because Penny, at the end of the day, man, like he's really good but he is never going to be a player you want to give that many carries to throughout the course of the season. I think that's why, at least from a starting point, they drafted Kenneth Walker, kind of at least be like a 60-40 split 
in favor of Penny to start the year. I, I fully think Penny's going to be the guy to start the year. I, you know, maybe I could bring in a little bit with this because you, you talked about some of the points within the Seahawks organization that we see a lot. We You talk about Pete Carroll, and it seems since Marshawn Lynch left the building, Pete Carroll has deployed some of the wildest committee approaches like all the time, you know, when you brought, they, they, they drafted him in the second round. Are they not going to start him? Well, then I'm starting to think about them having Chris Carson get all the action. I'm starting to think about uh, Thomas Rawls getting all the action. I'm starting to think about, I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> not, our, our favorite, um, Mr. <laughs> Alex, Alex Collins. Thank yeah. you. you. You know what yeah. I was thinking, the um, but <laughs> it seems like there is such a committee centric approach when it comes to uh, Pete Carroll in this and i was wondering how you were looking at you've obviously put a lot of thought into the seattle backfield beginning middle and kind of end of the season and how you expect the backfield to break down during those different chapters in the year right so the carson thing like you you also got to look at the rest of their depth chart right when he broke out rashad penny got hurt again um he battled penny was battling injuries i think that was the 2018 season penny had injuries all year and their second back, I believe, was Mike Davis. Like, yeah, I mean, Chris Carson was a baller, man. When he got, when he got healthy, like, he was a baller. Um, I think Penny starts the year 60-40 as the 1A. Uh, and I think as the year goes on, we're going to see Kenny Walker just blow up, man. Like, I, I remember charting the first couple games, and I was like, if you dropped this guy on any NFL offense and just started running zone, like inside, outside zone, like, you could give him 15 to 18 carries per game. Like, he's that good. Um I don't know, man. I think the C- I think the Seahawks are a team that, like, if you come out and compete and show that you can play early as possible, uh, you're going to get snaps. And I think Kenneth, yeah. I would be shocked if Kenneth Walker doesn't compete and get snaps as soon as possible. Yeah, and maybe maybe I'm I'm speaking a little bit out of pocket here, but I do think that it kind of reminds me of the Denver situation where we all know Javante's a little bit. You know, he's more talented. He, you know, he's probably the better prospect but Melvin Gordon just didn't go away. And I think right. that's within the range of outcomes here is like yes. Rashad Penny just doesn't go away because yeah. he's absolutely. given the Absolutely. But my, my thing is, is like, we want to draft running backs with bell cow upside. You can make a very easy case. And I know I just said the whole thing about, I don't want to hold injuries a guy against a guy, but if we're going to look at one player who's not been able to stay healthy, it's Rashad Penny, man. Like, mm. Well, and even if all things are even, he can't. He's probably not going to be the bell cow with Walker healthy on the roster. So that's where, like, because Penny be was a bell cow last year without somebody like Walker on the roster. Yeah, I would so, be stunned. And you know, Pete Carroll always does weird shit, man. Like he was out here giving Travis Homer snaps last year. Like that guy is a special teams player. Like he should not be playing legitimate passing down snaps in the NFL, but. You know, that's just what they had last year. Now they have someone else in Walker who's extremely talented. I'm glad we dove into that because I think it's I think Walker is worth the squeeze definitely late there. So we'll move on here, though, to some quarterbacks that are kind of uh, in new places here. And you kind of did a comparison here on Matt Ryan versus Carson Wentz on target throw rate last uh, season by situation. Um, and if you look at the stats, we got the chart up here, but basically on Arden on target throws from a clean, clean pocket, non screens under pressure, um, deep 15 plus air yards. You see Matt Ryan top 10 in all those categories and Carson Wentz near the bottom in a lot of them, uh, except for the deep ball throw middle of the field, 55% there. My question would be with solid seasons out of both Pittman and Jonathan Taylor with a much less accurate or on time Wentz. Who do you think Graham stands to benefit the most in the Colts offense with this upgrade um, at quarterback here? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited for Pittman. Um, the problem is everybody else is too. Uh, <laughs> Pittman was a fifth round pick oh, in May. Man. Now he's like an early third round pick on underdog. Um, I mean, everybody sees it. It's one of the most obvious breakout candidates this year. Maybe the most obvious breakout candidate uh, among receivers. Does that, does that make it not a good thing if everyone thinks it's so obvious? Um. It, t- it depends. I mean, he's gotten up to a point now in ADP where you could make a case against it. You know, he's going, you got to pick, T, you know, guys like, you know, you got to pick him over T Higgins. Um, you got to pick him over DJ Moore now. Um, back in May, you didn't have to do that. In June, you didn't have to do that. Now you do. Um, but man, I mean, you know, Matt Ryan's been fantastic for fantasy receivers, you know, dating back even to like his early career with Roddy White. Um, 
you know, I have a pretty cool stat. So Matt Ryan has supported a wide receiver one that's top 12 in points per game in 13 of 14 career seasons. The okay. only year he didn't do it was last year. And that's because Ridley got hurt and, mm. you know, decided he wanted to go to Florida and start betting on football. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, every year Ryan has been consistent. It's been different guys of different archetypes too. I mean, Julio, right. anybody could have, you know, I could have made Julio a decent fantasy receiver. He's just that yeah. good. I mean, guys like Roddy White, uh, he made Harry Douglas fantasy viable for a couple of years. Mohamed Sanu had a couple of nice finishes with him. Right. So this is a, this is a, a laundry list of players that he's thrown to. And Pittman is the only guy. I mean, last year, Pittman had at least 20% of the targets in all but three games last year. Uh, what I mean, Alec Pierce is going to come in and steal twenty percent of the targets, like Paris Campbell. Like Paris man. Campbell, baby, that's I the real like, tease, I like man. I do He's like Campbell. Late. One, hey, Campbell's yeah. interesting late for sure. Look at look at Matt Ryan's uh, touchdown percentage for the number one versus the number two. It's the number two wide receiver that gets the cheese, and that's going to be Paris Campbell. Campbell is like the Rashad Penny of receivers, though, man. They just they got to find a <laughs> and way. He's going to be healthy this, this year. This is the year he finishes as the number one last week. Don't call it a comeback, baby. Don't call it a comeback. He's like Tyrone. going to get Campbell on some like steroids that are not on the NFL's radar just so he can stay yeah. healthy, like Will Fuller did for a year and a half. But well, his injuries were. We are not advocating injuries. steroids. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paris Campbell's injuries are a little bit freakish, kind of like Keenan Allen. So that's why I'm like. Yeah. I, I think so. Facto connected dot. So he's exactly. kid, he's Keenan Allen. So there I we did. go. Well, I there did have a question, uh, Graham, about since you know we're hyping up Matt Ryan, Matty Ice right now. Do you think because Carson Wentz, you look at his, uh, you know, his games last year, sure, he did finish as a QB 18, not sexy or anything like that, but he did have six QB one weeks. Do you think that that means that because Matt Ryan is significantly better, that Matt Ryan might have a resurgence into that top 12, or at least he should definitely be more considered as, you know, possibly being picked up off waivers uh, to play or, you know, if definitely if you're in a two QB league. Yeah, a super flex, man. Matt Ryan and Mac Jones are my guys. Oh, um, but yeah, man. I, I mean, the thing the thing with Ryan and, and guys like him, and you could even lump like Kirk Cousins in this, because they don't run, they have to go nuclear. And the mm-hmm. Colts are still a run first team. Mm-hmm. You know, this team is going to run through Jonathan Taylor. At the end of the day, I think Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and all, all the front office, man, like they just want someone to get the ball out on time and on target when they do throw. And Matt Ryan's perfect for it. I mean, mm-hmm. Philip Rivers, guys, Philip Rivers in the Colts won 11 games two years ago. Mm-hmm. If Philip Rivers was at the end of his career, Matt Ryan is a better better quarterback than Philip Rivers was at that point. And I, I mean, I'm a I was a huge Rivers truther for what it's worth. But I uh, mean, I I, t- I was looking at this last night because I was actually thinking about betting the Colts to win the AFC South, mm-hmm. and they are slightly behind the Titans. Um, Colts are minus 125. I think Texans were minus 115. Uh, I'm, I'm on, I'm on. I like that. Yeah. 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 Dude. Fuck the Titans, man. I'm off that. Like, <laughs> I'm, like let's yeah. go with the Colts, baby. Uh, I'd actually just, I, I just arbitrage that I'd take the Titans under. That's what I think that's where I'd go with it. Oh, that's yeah, where you. I was actually <laughs> leaning towards. So I was like, it is tight because they're both going to beat up on the Jags and Texans. Yeah. So, you know, they got four easy games there, but yeah, it's yeah. tight. Well, speaking of Matt Ryan leaving, that means he's exited, uh, you know, Atlanta here. And Graham, you retweeted Santero's tweet. So we'll start with that one. It was be very interesting to see what Ryan's exit does to Pitt's numbers. And and I I think this is sarcasm. You haven't heard? Pitts is so much better off with Mariota and Ritter as opposed to Matt Ryan, who ranked top 10 in on-target throw rate in every situation last year, as we talked about. (laughs) Duh. Duh. Uh, (laughs) Graham, my my thing is here, I'm not not by no no means do I want to cape up for Mariota here. But he started with the Titans uh, in 12 or more games between 2015 and 2017. And this was some of the, the production we saw out of Delaney Walker in those seasons, right? Tight end three in points per game while leading the lead in targets in 2015. The next year, he was tight end six in points per game, and he ranked seventh in red zone targets. And then in 2017, he was again tight end six in points per game, and he ranked top five in target share and air yard share among his peers. So I guess I'm just curious if we think Mariota's deficiencies actually hurt Drake London 
and his prospects a bit more than Pitts. Because if you look at Pitts versus Delaney Walker, right, you can say maybe the difference in how good they are as tight ends should make up for maybe some of the discrepancy uh, we could see here with Mariota. So where do you stand on, you know, past the the sarcasm tweet here, where do you stand on the unicorn and where he's at this season? See, you said it. He is a unicorn. He's not a, he's not a tight end. Yeah. (laughs) He's a receiver. He ran 80% of his routes split out wide or uh, lined up as an outside wide receiver last year. He didn't play on it. He didn't play in line. Like, I get what you're saying. Delaney Walker, by the way, was a total freak. Dude was, yeah, he was. an absolute freak. Uh, Kyle Pitts is too, man. But it's two different players, two different positions. And Marcus Mariota hasn't started since then. And there's a reason why Marcus Mariota hasn't started since mm. then. Um, look, man, I think this Falcons offense is going to be a lot more run heavy than people want them to be. Mariota can run. Uh, you can run zone read with them. They just got Tyler Algier, who's a great zone read back. Um, you know, Ritter is obviously mobile. If they if they want to go to Ritter, uh, man, I, I I don't know, man. I think you're I think you're buying Pitts like really close to his ceiling right now at his ADP, like really really. Close. I could get I could get behind that that take. I just yeah. he's just so fun, and I feel like I the industry we just want to be in on that before it goes nuclear. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping it's this year. But I always, feel like, I always feel like I'm bringing the vibe down when I talk about pits. Because it's so exciting. I want the contrasting takes, too. You know, I think you yeah, have no, a few here. And I think it's important as we do these thought experiments, as we like to call them in the offseason, to try it. Like, as you said, to borrow your phrase of the snowflake, we're trying to figure out each unique snowflake. And that's part of the puzzle there. So mm-hmm. we'll move on here to some past happy offense. Maybe that'll lighten the mood a bit here. <laughs> we're going to talk about offenses that had the biggest change year over year in their passing tendencies. Uh, you you clarified this as early down slash non-red zone game within a score uh, plays only. And you had some notes on these, but we'll show the charts here because we see some teams here, Baltimore, Las Vegas, that were high in their year-over-year early down pass rate change. We also had some teams on the low end. Um, so check those charts out. Follow Graham on Twitter uh, to I'll, check out some of this stuff. Graham, I wanted to know, looking at these charts, it was super interesting, but I feel it could almost be a bit misleading if you didn't know what you were looking for looking at this information so how do you graham use this information to make evaluations for fantasy football and does this primarily impact the wide receivers quarterbacks or is it simply a case-by-case team-by-team situation yeah so one the way i start all of my off-season research is i take a very top-down approach so i go from a team level and then I go down. So I'm trying to project volume. I'm trying to project, project tendencies, pace, all of that. Mm. So I guess at some point, I think that was like in June, I was in the middle of that process. And I was just looking for teams that threw way more uh, than we're accustomed to. And the Ravens were the top. Uh, I think they were at 10% above mm. their previous years. Uh, yeah, 10.2% above their early down pass expectation of the last couple of years. And that's interesting to me because the Ravens, we always know what they want to do, man. Like they were number one in early down run rate in 2019 with Lamar. That was the Lamar MVP season. They were number one in early down run rate in 2020 when all their backs were healthy. Last year, obviously, the running backs were in like a final destination movie. And then <laughs> Lamar got hurt. Last year was an anomaly year for some, a team uh, like the Ravens yeah, where we know they want to run the ball, but they were completely against their previous year's tendency on early downs. And I think it's a way to kind of spot regression candidates logically. Like the Ravens are the top one to me. Um, I, I, you know, I think I mentioned the Bengals were up there too, like mm-hmm. uh, Vikings as well. Like um, the chargers were up there um, teams like the chargers in particular were probably the second most interesting one to me besides the Ravens, because Justin Herbert's just that guy. Like he's a mm-hmm. superstar. They're going to continue to throw more. But just kind of seeing it like uh, in kind of like a comparative sense, especially when you kind of like look at the top five teams that were increased in pass rate compared to, you know, like the team that was like the Jets. They're just middle of the pack. Like there's magnitudes there and seeing those magnitudes and, and seeing where they kind of land was was interesting to me. Mm. 
I thought it was really interesting. And you had five takeaways that you, you talked about. You talked a little bit about the Chargers here. We'll go to that one. That was the third of, of your takeaways here. And you said it comes as no surprise, as you said, with Justin Herbert becoming a star and the Chargers' aggressive, analytically driven approach. Only the Buccaneers and Bills were more pass-heavy than the Chargers, 60% last year. Still room for more a uh, for a bit more growth there. And then you also talked a little bit about the Bengals here. Said with Joe Burrow recovering from knee surgery – Zach Taylor predictably played it safe early in the season last year. There's so much upside here. If the Bengals continue their trend of cutting Burrow loose like they did in the playoffs, you added here uh, a stat that you had for over Burrow's last six starts uh, in week 16 through 17, plus the playoffs, the Bengals went 62% pass heavy on early downs. In weeks one through 15, the Bengals were just 50% pass heavy on early downs. You said that's a 12% different in favor of the pass on early downs in Burrow's final six weeks. Grim, I had a question about this because, you know, those two games in particular that you're talking about, you know, it's Baltimore and Kansas City, and they were shootouts. They, you know, uh, the Bengals end up putting up 75 points in those two games. So my question to you is, do you really feel like, hey, this is truly an offense that could go to that 62%, uh, you know, throwing on early downs and, and therefore making Joe Burrow really, you know, light it up. Or do you think that that just had to do with, you know, because it was division uh, and, and they just needed to score that many points in order to keep up. And we should more look towards them, you know, kind of like you said, regressing back towards maybe that 50% mark uh, or, or even lower. Yeah, pr- predicting what Zach Taylor is going to do is has been difficult. Um, he's been like, one of the most like him? Jekyll and Hyde coaches. <laughs> he's, I, your, he's your favorite coach to scout. Oh my god, man! I just it's it's just it like when you think when you think you've got the Bengals figured out, like he's going to do something that's the complete opposite. And honestly, looking back through, so like I I went through every game and looked at all their tendencies by game. And to start the year, yeah, it makes sense, man. Like Burrow's coming off a brutal knee injury. Like you're going to want to take some some of the weight off of him. Um, By week five or six, they started throwing a little bit more in early downs, but then they came out of their bye and were like super conservative. I think it was like week 11, week 12. They're real conservative, and it kind of culminated in a game against the Broncos. Uh, Bengals were on the outside of the playoff uh, chase. They had just lost two straight games, the Niners and Chargers. They went to Denver and put together this dog shit game plan. Burrow threw it 22 times. And I think after that, Burrow was like, guys, we got I got to do something different here. We, we got the Ravens and Chiefs on tap. If we want to make the AFC you know, playoffs, we got we to gotta make a move here. And I think they're just like, fuck it. We're just going to start throwing it like crazy. And we kind of saw that a little bit more in the playoffs. Um, there was a period in that Raiders game, especially early in the game, they were throwing a lot more in early down. Same with the Titans game. And then we saw the Chiefs game. Every first down, it was a Joe Mixon run for one yard. Um, they kind of tried against the Rams. Um, but, you know, that defense was really good. I, the, I, I don't know. I really don't know what Taylor's going to do. I, I know what's most optimal is they just turn into the Chargers and they throw it 65% of the time. And we love all of their pieces between Chase and Mixon and Higgins. But man, truthfully, I, I really don't know what Taylor is going to do. I do know that the Bengals have a very difficult back half of the schedule again this mm-hmm. year. There should be a lot of shootouts. Yeah, I was uh, to a point because that, that's something that Matt Kelly's brought up a lot this offseason, too. You get Kansas City, Tampa Bay, uh, Buffalo, and Baltimore. Four of those games in the last few games there. So that's a good stretch of games that should push the pace. Yeah. You've talked about this. We've, we've kind of, uh, you said you, you don't really know, which I can respect. I see Herbert, though, firmly around ahead of Burrow in ADP. You talked about him being a superstar. I want to ask if you think the market's wrong on that. And that they belong closer or or even further apart, maybe. I think Herbert has QB one in his range of outcomes, uh, and I don't think it's by a much lower degree than Josh Allen having QB one mm-hmm. in certain outcomes. Ooh, wow. Um, you know, Allen obviously is a dynamic runner. We know he's going to have the goal line touches, uh, and he's going to score touchdowns near the goal line. Herbert doesn't have that, but man, I mean, he's got a lot to love. And you know, it, for what it's worth. When we're comparing him to somebody like Mahomes or even Lamar Jackson, there's something to be said that Herbert at least has a lot of chemistry with all of his weapons. You know, Keenan Allen's yeah. back, Mike Williams is back, Jalen Guyton's there for year three, Josh Palmer's in year two. All of his top receivers, Austin Eckler's, are, you know, obviously a big part of their pass game. All those guys, man, he's been with for multiple years. You know, uh, 
I think there's something to be said with the chemistry factor, and maybe this is all culminates in like a huge year three for Herbert. My last question on this subject here, Graham, was about going back to the passing percentages for the NFL, looking at the Minnesota Vikings and the Denver Broncos. We got these here. That's a nice, cool spearmint green. Those guys are pretty high up on the chart here. Nice passy, pass happy approaches who I would argue just got more pieces and more variables to make them and even more pass-happy, more effective teams and offenses. I want to just get your take on the Minnesota Vikings, who you know have a coaching change, and we're really excited about Kirk Cousins and subcapacities, and then Denver, of course, coaching change and uh, quarterback change as well. Yeah, um, there's no surprise. I mean, I can't remember the linebacker who came out and said he was on Pat McAfee's show that like Zimmer and Kirk Cousins hated each other's guts, or maybe Zimmer hated Cousins, I don't know. Uh, there was whatever it was. There were some really bad vibes with the Vikings last year. Uh, Kevin O'Connell obviously comes. He's you know the latest McVay uh, buddy to kind of shoot up the ranks. But I mean, if you want to go based on background, um, O'Connell spent the last three years as the Rams OC, uh, maybe the last years, and they were the seventh most pass-heavy team on early downs, back-to-back seasons, hovering around sixty percent. That would be a huge boost for this Vikings passing attack. Um, you know, we all love Justin Jefferson. I love Justin Jefferson, but, um, man, I, you know, I think think their margin between him and cup is, is really not that big, especially in PPR. I think cup has more touchdown upside because of all the stuff they scheme for him near the goal line. Um, but Jefferson, man, uh, he, he might go nuclear this year. (laughs) He really is there a more exciting wide receiver to draft than Justin Jefferson this year? Like, in my opinion, I don't think there is. Like, he's just like – he's such a mystery yeah. box. There's not. So I'll tell you. You love Jamar. Jamar's cool, but T. Higgins is awesome too, and hey. that's going to really – that's really going to scalp the – Yeah, and we just talked about how we don't know if the Bengals are going to throw it, you know, throw enough. I, I think the Vikings are going to throw a lot more this year. Listen, a there's lot. no no uh, receiver that does the giddy better. That's what he does, right? Yeah, the gritty. Yeah. Yeah. Or gritty, gritty. Yeah. I cannot agree. Yeah. I, I, my gritty is absolutely atrocious. I'm freaking That's embarrassed. That's okay. We'll, we could just, you know, watch Justin Jefferson do it. <laughs> I agree. I do agree, though, with the chase, especially because you got to think that as far as chase goes, he scored so many of his touchdowns on those deep bombs that teams are going to learn from that. They're going to start rolling coverage over there and rolling deeper coverage over there to prevent that. And so I don't know, I'm not saying that Chase can't, isn't a talented receiver to adjust to that. I just think it's going to benefit T Higgins a lot more than people think it will. And to your point, like I just think Justin Jefferson is just going to feast because everyone thinks that Thielen is going to be the red zone guy because he always has been. And uh, yeah, I I'm with the Justin yeah. Jefferson number one. Uh, yeah. On that Thielen note, Justin Jefferson was second among all receivers in end zone targets last year. Stephon Diggs was first. Mm-hmm. Jefferson got plenty of end zone love, especially when Thielen yeah. got hurt. Right. When both those guys were healthy, they were neck and neck in end zone targets. I think Jefferson had nine and Thielen had eight. I mean, they both yeah. had plenty. They're, they're both going to get fed near the end zone. You said something interesting there. Last point I'll, I'll say on Minnesota here is that cup, they scheme things up in, in Los Angeles for cup at the goal line. Right. And I think that's when, when Justin Jefferson says, I'm going to play the cup role. Like, I think that's the important part to play. Cause mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson's a badass receiver in his own right. He doesn't need yeah. to be like, I'm going to play the Cooper cup role, but in the red zone could be a huge shift this yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, but he does love Thielen over there. All right, Graham, I just wanted to ask uh, to close this out here. We appreciate all the time you've given us here. And, and one last nugget here, uh, just any general fantasy football philosophies you'd follow that you'd maybe want to impart here on Whisper Nation. Be flexible. Uh, never go into a draft where you're like, I have to go zero running back. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, oh, I've got the fourth pick. I've got to go Jefferson and a receiver in the second round. Like, be flexible. And, and my biggest thing in the way I, I'm flexible is I always try to draft from tiers. So I, I have, you know, our site projections. And then I just kind of logically go through based on how I feel about players and ADP, uh, kind of reshuffle and go through each tier at each position. I have tiers for quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and tight ends. And it kind of helps me stay on schedule. So 
if I can have any bit of wisdom, I've been playing this game and long enough to know that like this shit is so unpredictable. The one thing you can control is your process and having some sort of set process that you can take in every draft and feel comfortable doing, whether it's, you know, one home league draft or 20, uh, you know, drafts that are higher stakes, whatever you're doing. 39. I would, the number one thing is definitely have some sort of set process. And for me, it's, it's tears. And, and that kind of keeps me most flexible. I want to bring in Mr. Miyagi's question. One last question. Sorry. He says to give sure. some salary cap advice here, Graham, if you, if you have some, I mean, 39 leagues, maybe one of them or two of them are salary. Yeah, cap. I got a couple auction leagues yeah. There. Yeah. So uh, any advice there? Uh, I haven't, I have not done anything this year, um, for auction yet. My number, my usual strategy in auction is to get one like super elite high priced running back. Um, if it's PPR, I'm usually going towards the McCaffrey's, the Camaros, uh, those Ecklers, those types of guys. And then I love getting like five or six receivers for like 15 to 25 bucks. Uh, just depending on the room, I'm, I'm usually trying to score some some receiver values for for 15 to 25. But yeah, I, like I said at the top, I usually want like one super elite running back, ideally two, and then I'm just trying to hammer receivers throughout the rest of the the draft. Love that, love it, love it, and we've loved every minute of this with you, Graham, and all of Whisper Nation here in the chat. Say what's up to Mr. Miyagi, Ronald, nice guy, our boys in here, Albert, Jersey J, all the fam. We appreciate you. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, for our guest Graham Barfield, I'm Big Travi. We're the Fantasy Whispers, and we're out. Peace. Peace. See you guys on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> right here. Hey, do you like mock drafts? We do too. You can come back every Monday and mock with us. Check out one of these videos and make sure you're liked and subscribed.